0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Ephesians chapter number 2, we'll read the first 10 verses. And I'll give some explanation a little later in the message. I want to give you some background concerning the church at Ephesus. And so hang on with me. But let's read starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we come to the Word of God, and we understand that your Word is true, and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This morning, I'm encouraged, I'm challenged, I'm humbled by the Scripture. And I pray that as I preach and as we look into the Scriptures, that you would give understanding and you would open it up to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be willing to respond to you in our hearts and minds. And that ultimately, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified, and exalted in our midst, and that we would be more conformed to that image that we love, the image of Christ. Form Christ in us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus seems to have a very special place in the apostle's heart. I'll share some of the reasons why I think that in just a few moments. But Ephesus was a very busy port city. It was uh, between two major rivers. It was, because of that, a very flourishing commercial center. It was one of the largest and most powerful cities in the Roman Empire. It was a very large city, and it was devoted to the worship of the false fertility goddess Diana. They had even built a magnificent temple dedicated to the idol, and it was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. On Paul's second missionary journey, as he made his way back to Antioch, he's coming back home, he's coming back to his sending church, he traveled through Ephesus with companions. He went to the synagogue as his custom was, and he taught and got involved with talking about the Scriptures, teaching the Scriptures. But he wasn't there long, and he left and uh, continued his journey headed home, headed to Jerusalem and then to Antioch of Syria. However, he left Aquila and Priscilla, an incredible couple that he left behind there in Ephesus, and they continued on in meeting people and perhaps preparing people for Paul's return. Aquila and Priscilla heard and met a man by the name of Apollos, who had been teaching in the synagogue at Ephesus. Acts 18 records this and records that Apollos was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, knowing only the baptism of John. So his understanding of Christ or the Messiah was incomplete. And of course, Aquila and Priscilla helped him understand the way of God more perfectly. The Bible says that Apollos mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. After a time, Apollos left Ephesus and he went to Corinth, as you might remember. Meanwhile, Paul, having been in Antioch for a while, now is being sent on his third missionary journey. And so he starts off on his way. He's visiting the coasts of Galatia and the churches that were planted there and the people that he had met as he makes his way back to Ephesus. And when he comes back to Ephesus, he remained there for two and a half to three years. He was there longer than any other uh, place where a church plant was or, or any of the, the newer churches started. And he was there for nearly three years. During that time, he also met Jewish disciples who only knew of John's uh, baptism. And I think it's amazing that John the Baptist's ministry continued as far as it did. In, in my mind, it was... Uh, just within the boundaries of Israel and the Jews. But his impact and how God used him in preparing people for the Messiah was continuing uh, to, to be used. And he knew the, these disciples knew John's baptism. But Paul met with them and he taught them and he made clear to them that Jesus is the Messiah that they are learning about and for whom John had prepared the way. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul spoke boldly in the Jewish synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews, but many of their hearts were hardened. They were blind to the truth. So he began teaching like many church planters do in a school, a school of, of Tyrannus. And he did so for two years. And during that time, God did some amazing miracles where he healed the sick and casted out devils. Uh, God used him to do those wonderful miracles and, of course, to authenticate the truth that the apostle Paul was teaching about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is God, and that he came for the whole world, not just the Jews. Worshippers of uh, the idol Diana caused an uproar, but it was quickly dismissed. Wonderful things were taking place but certainly not without resistance. Paul was being persecuted and had suffered physically for his stand in the preaching of Christ. Those who were against him and the church that was growing there said these words in Acts chapter 19. They suggested that many in Ephesus and, I quote, almost throughout all Asia had been persuaded by Paul to turn away from these false gods, quote, which are made with hands. The impact and the power of God using the Apostle Paul was spreading and the gospel was spreading throughout all the pagan lands and the Gentiles were coming to know Christ. Some Jews got saved, but mostly Gentiles were being saved. A church was formed and grew by the power of God. And the Bible says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I love that. God's word prevails. Keep reading it. Keep believing it. Keep living it. Why? Because God's word prevails. Paul continued his travels through Macedonia and Greece. And after a time, he began his journey back toward Jerusalem. However, one of his stops was Miletus. Why did he stop at Miletus? He stopped so that he could be close to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him there in Miletus. Turn with me if you would to Acts chapter 20, and let's look at that. But Paul encourages them and he warns them. We read in Acts chapter number 20, starting in verse 28. Acts 20, 28. And it just seems like Ephesus is on his mind throughout his, his missionary journeys and what God has done there and continued to do there in his absence. But he meets with them. He tells them, this is the last time you're going to see my face. And they knew what that meant. That broke their hearts. But he said to them in verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. I mean, if he's going to encourage these preachers to do something, he's encouraging them to do the right thing. Feeding the flock of God with his word. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You didn't put you there, God did. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. How sobering that is to hear as a preacher of the gospel. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, keep that in the back of your mind, remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And Now brethren, I commend you to God. I've done all that God has told me to do. I have a clear conscience. It's between you and the Lord now. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And So Paul meets with them. They pray together. He departs. They share tears. They depart, and they continue the work that God has given them to do. Paul leaves and finally arrives at Jerusalem, thinking he's headed back to report to his home church, Antioch of Syria. He finished his third missionary journey, but it was sooner than what he was expecting. As you may remember, when Paul got to Rome, he was accused. It was assumed. The Bible says that they supposed that he had brought a Gentile into the temple, which was heresy and he would be accused and wrongly accused at that. He would be condemned for it by the Jewish leaders. We've got to be careful, if I just may take this little rabbit trail for a moment. We, We must be careful about what we suppose and what we assume. Because of this supposition, because of this assumption, a man's ministry ended as it was. We need to be careful what we say when we don't know the facts, when we don't know the truth. It could ruin someone. It could ruin someone's testimony. So he was arrested in Jerusalem by the Jewish leaders. And after going through political hoops, he appealed to Caesar and thereby began his journey to Rome. He knew he was going to Rome, God had told him, but he didn't know the mode in which he would travel. He's going as a prisoner after being arrested. As a number of years passed since his time in Ephesus, and while he's in prison at Rome, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the epistle, the letter to the church at Ephesus, and for it to be circulated to other churches. As I studied the book of Ephesians, I, it's a short book, it's six chapters, so this is no great feat, but I was reading it and I read through it a number of times trying to figure out, well, what is the main purpose of the book of Ephesians? I don't know that I found it because there's so so many wonderful and deep truths concerning salvation and our relationship and heavenly places and in Christ and through Christ and relationships and, and just so many things. So as to the purpose of the book of Ephesians, There's hints of several things and we could never explore the depths of all of the the truths and doctrines that we find. But here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that there's no glaring wrongs in the church at Ephesus to be corrected. What's interesting is that there's no false doctrine being spread, it seems, and there's no gross immorality among the leaders unlike the letters, the epistles, that were sent to Corinth. Remember? Remember? or Galatia, or Colossians. Paul is correcting something, but he's not writing, it seems, to correct anything at the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was truly doing well. The pulpit commentary records this, No specific object occupies the apostle's attention in this epistle. By God's blessing on his labors while he was among them, they had started aright on the Christian course. At the moment of his writing, there was little to correct either in doctrine or in practice, and there was little to disturb in the serenity of the apostles' mind in the contemplation of their state. I read that. I feel smart. But simply put, the church was enjoying the blessings of God. They were seeing God at work. They were working to stay on track. They were laboring for the Lord. They were living out their own salvation. They were protecting one another from the grievous wolves. They were standing against evil and speaking the truth in love. And and they loved God and they were faithful to God. God was blessing their church. They were seeing some amazing things take place as a result of it. I think there's something else that's interesting about the book of Ephesians. Paul used uh, uh, the, the, the noun or verb form of the word love, agape, 19 times. That's one sixth of the times that, of the total times that he uses the form of the word love in all of his letters. So there's an emphasis the Holy Spirit is placing on this very word. Of love and why we do what we do. Ephesians begins with love in chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 and it ends with love in chapter 6 verse 23 and 24. 19 times a form of that word is used. And so I surmise that as Paul writes, he causes them to remember who they are and where they came from and what Jesus did and how God is using them and how they are to continue to the end that their love for God would be stirred, that their love for Him would be increased, that they would stay focused on the main thing and that, that is their relationship of love with the Savior of the world. You remember the first commandment Jesus said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul and strength. God is interested in our relationship with Him. He's interested in relationships. It made me think of our church. You know, Tabernacle Baptist Church is enjoying the blessings of God, are we not? And we ought to enjoy them. And we ought to keep pursuing to continue them. We're working to stay on track. It's a full-time job to keep me right with God. And you've got a full-time job in keeping you right with God. But let's stay on track with it. Let's keep working at it. We're laboring for the Lord. We're trying to reach people. God's opening doors and unusual venues to, to, to speak to people and to give the gospel. We're starting some new things. We're, we're trying to live out our own salvation. We're protecting one another from grievous wolves. We're standing against evil and speaking the truth in love. And I believe we love God. I believe you love God. And I see many faithful people. The people of Tabernacle Baptist Church are faithful. So the Lord gives the Ephesians and He gives us some things to remember in order to stir up our love for Jesus. This is not corrective. He is reminding them of what they already know. Somebody said that that's what preaching is. It's to remind us of what we're unwilling to tell ourselves. To remind us of what we already know, but we're unwilling to remind ourselves of. But he does it in, in an, just a, an incredible way. And I, I believe that our text, Ephesians chapter 2, and those first 10 verses, is a short synopsis of the entire letter concerning these topics. Verse 11 tells us why. The first two words in verse 11 of Ephesians 2 says, Wherefore, talking about the first ten verses that are before, he says, Wherefore, remember. Remember. And so let's look in these verses and let's see some things that we are to remember. These are things that you and I know. These are things that sometimes can become dull in our minds and in our hearts. And may God use his word to stir up our love for Jesus Christ this morning. Some things that we are to remember. Number one, we're to remember former times. We're to remember former times. Look in verse number one, verses one through three. Speaking to the Ephesians after giving an amazing benediction of who they are in Christ, he says to all of chapter one, and (laughs) you hath he quickened. The word quickened means to make alive. We have been made alive to God who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead to God, but through Christ we have been quickened. We have been made alive to God and enabled to have a relationship with God. Wherein, here it is, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Well, we can sum up the course of this world like John did. I believe it was John who said, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's it. That's all this world has to offer. That's all the world can give us wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit uh, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we understand that the world is associated with the realm of Satan. The way of life without Christ is in accordance to Satan's ways. And the world can doctor it and dress it up and make it sound as pretty as they want to, but the the, the bottom line is is that they are still walking in the course of this world if they're outside of Christ. He goes on in helping them remember the former times in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past. We all. He reminds them, look, People at Ephesus, you're not the only ones who were condemned and justly so because of your sin. You're not the only ones who deserve the lake of fire for eternity and separation from God. You're not the only ones who were lost and in darkness and hopeless without Christ. But we all had our conversation our manner of life, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We are to remember former times. What does that do? How does that help us? Well, it causes humility before His presence. I think back to where God found me. Oh, when the Savior, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to say it. When the Savior reached down, he had to reach way down for me. You know what? You might have grown up in church and got saved at five years old, but when the Savior reached down, he had to reach way down for you too because we all are under the condemnation of God because of our sin. There's no one justified in his sight. Every person born of woman aside from the Son of God himself is condemned because of our sin and the wrath of God abides upon us. But he doesn't leave us there. He says in verses four through six, I want you to remember the present truths. You see, you were lost and condemned and on your way to hell and deserving so and so are the rest of us. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, abounding in mercy, and for his great love wherewith he loved us. You understand that God loves us this morning? You know who else he loves? He not only loves his children, but he loves the world. He loves those who are lost, those who are deceived by the devil, those who have been blinded in their hearts and hardened. He loves them. Loves them with a love that we can't understand and the only way that we can understand it is by remembering how He loves us and to know that He loves the lost world. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, Not loving us just because we came to Him, but loving us even when we were dead in sins. But God commendeth His love, shows, proves His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proved His love to you and to I and to this world when He died on the cross in our place. When the wrath of God against our sin, my sin was poured in fullness upon the Savior on the cross and he became sin for us that we could become his righteousness. He died that we could have his life. He paid our hell so that we could have his heaven. And he did that because he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know the fullness of what that means. But if I'm seated together with Christ, that means that God sees me not as I am, but as I, want, as I will one day be. And God treats me and loves me and gives me favor the way I am or the way I will be. He sees me for what I will be and not what I am today because my sins have been covered in the blood of the Savior and they're gone and they're forgiven. As a matter of fact, he takes most of the whole chapter of the first chapter of Ephesians to remind them of who they are in Christ. Look at it with me in verse number three of chapter one. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We are a blessed people. Do you agree with that? Amen. In verse number five, we are adopted by God, unworthy and set aside and condemned, but in love, He adopted us into His family. We're children of God. In verse number six, we are accepted in the beloved there are Christians who struggle maybe even in this room that struggle that you are accepted with Christ that he loves you at the level you are and loves you enough to take you where you are and to grow us and to mature us and to help us and to be patient with us and to love us and to guide us and to give us everything that we need to be what he wants us to be we're accepted in the beloved you may not be accepted elsewhere but you are accepted in Christ Verse seven, we're redeemed. He has bought us again through the blood of Christ. We have forgiveness. If you know the Lord, your sins are forgiven and not just the ones up to this point and not just the ones that you, that, that you and I confess to Him on a daily basis. But He has forgiven all of our sin. He's forgiven the punishment of our sin. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who believe in God, to those who are saved, to those who know Jesus Christ. The world may condemn us. Other people may condemn us we may even condemn us but god has said the penalty has been paid in full you are forgiven now live like you're forgiven he says it goes on in verse number 11 saying that we have an, a, obtained an inheritance <laughs> well what does god own he owns everything And we're heirs of that. John says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And everything that God owns is our inheritance. What a day that's going to be. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I love verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. I imagine Paul's mind's going through dozens and dozens of instances of where he met Gentiles in Ephesus and in the big city walking in the streets and even outside of the the huge uh, uh, complex of the goddess of Diana. And he's preaching the gospel and people are repenting and putting their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and people are getting saved and as he is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to say these things and to write these things to the church of Ephesus, I can't, I can't but help to imagine that he's got particular faces in mind. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed, with that Holy Spirit of promise you know what that means hey listen not only are we blessed and adopted and accepted and redeemed and forgiven and heirs but we are secure in Christ that salvation that you have in Jesus Christ will never go away. It will never be taken away. It is eternal because you and I, after putting our faith in Jesus Christ, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption where he comes to uh, to, to purchase uh, to redeem the purchased. It's in here. I don't know why I don't just read it. which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That's what I was trying to say. We're secure in God. You don't have to live wondering if he loves you and wondering if you're still his child and wondering if you're still forgiven and wondering if you're still saved. We're secure in him. Now Satan wants to convince you otherwise. And accuse you and accuse me. But we are safe. We are secure. And so he gives us the former things. Who they were. And then he says, but God has made the difference and made you what you are today. We were dead, now we're alive. We were enslaved, now we're enthroned. We were objects of wrath, now we are objects of grace. We walked among the disobedient, now we fellowship with Christ. We were under Satan's dominion, and now we're in union with Christ. But God, it wouldn't have happened. But God. He says, Remember the former times. It causes humility before Him. Remember the present truths. It causes us to honor Him and to thank Him. Number three, remember future things. Verse number seven. He did all this. Verse number seven, that in the ages to come, future things. The ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He said in verse number six. Who, but God who is rich or abounding in mercy you mean to tell me that we get that abounding mercy and his love and his grace but in the ages to come when we leave this old dirty world and we leave this flesh behind and we enter into the heavenlies and we're we're glorified as Christ is glorified and we have new bodies and a new home and Jesus said let not your heart be troubled believe it, you believe in God believe also in me in my Father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also he has a place prepared and in that place he says it's exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us I don't even know how to define that I don't know that it can be defined it's more than we can account for it's more than we can figure But he says, remember the future things because it causes us to hope in him. What are some things we are to remember? We're to remember the former times. We're to remember the present truths and we're to remember future things. And lastly, we're to remember the practical purpose. As a result of this, what does he expect? What does he want? What do we want? What should we do? Remember the practical purposes. 8 through 10, follow along with me if you would. For by grace are you saved. That's unmerited favor. If you're saved, you didn't get saved because of you. You can't save you, and I can't save you, and you can't save me. It's by unmerited favor, by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's a lot of religious people, lots of religious people, who believe that their good life and their good deeds and their good ways and their kind heart and their good spirit and their giving to people in need and on and on and on and on and on the list goes. There are people who believe that because they are good as compared to other people in this world that they see, that they're going to go to heaven, but they're lost. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, if you and I can get saved by works, it's like spitting in the face of God. Saying, God, is, it, it, it wasn't enough, Lord Jesus, what you did. The plucking of your beard and the spitting in your face and the spear in your side and the cat of nine tails and the nails in your hands and in your feet. The torment and the torture and the abuse and the blasphemy the hatred that was spewed and the wrath of man and the wrath of devils wasn't enough. If you and I have anything to do with salvation other than believing, then we don't have salvation. We have religion. And we spit in the face of Christ when we suggest that we can do it On our own or to help him. Verse 10 For we are his workmanship. I love that. We're created in the image of God. We are his workmanship. The work that he did in us and how he is forming us, it's his workmanship. And you know what that means? It's perfect workmanship. And what God is doing in you, and God is doing in me, and God is doing in our church, God is doing. Tabernacle Baptist Church is His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, walk in those good works. We don't do good works to get saved. We don't do good works to stay saved. We do good works because He saved us. And we want to live for Him, and He has put the Holy Spirit inside of us that grows a desire to let other people know who He is and to live our lives to honor Him. And that's what He says. Remember the practical purpose to walk in them, the good works. He gives us some instruction on that, four quick things that He shows us here. He says, first of all, that we are to walk worthy. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. We are to walk worthy. Verses 1-3, through three, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In other words, believers' behavior is to be worthy of this divine work and calling in our lives. Walk worthy of what God has done in your life. Walk in appreciation, walk in gratitude, walk understanding with humility that it was God who did it by his grace. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He gives some clarity in verses 17 through 20 of what this means. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. If you're going to walk worthy, you're not going to walk like the rest of the world in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. Walk worthy. He also shows us in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 to walk in love. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. How are we to love others as Christ loved us? To esteem others better than ourselves. Walk in love. Everything that we do needs to be and should be and we have to work at it and God does it through us, but done with the backdrop of love. If we lose that, if we lose that, then the impact and the influence and the motive is all wrong and the focus is not on Christ. He also says not only walk in love, but he says walk as children of light. Look in verse number 8 of chapter 5. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Live for Christ out in the public. Love Him and walk in that light that He has given you. Remember the former times. Remember the present truths. Remember the future things. Remember the practical purpose. Walk in the good works. Lastly, he says in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 5, walk circumspectly. Chapter 5, verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, or diligently, accurately, purposefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. I want you to walk worthy of your calling. I want you to walk in love. With other people, I want you to love. uh, walk as children of light and I want you to walk diligently, accurately, purposefully. I want you to walk circumspectly, aware that you represent Jesus Christ. Remember the former times, it causes humility before God. Remembering the present truths causes us to honor God. Remembering future things causes us to hope in God. And remembering the practical purpose as we walk in those good works, causes us to pursue Him. Are you pursuing God? Are you pursuing Him in His Word? And are we pursuing Him in our prayer closet? You see, because when we cease to remember who we are in Christ and where we come from and what Jesus did and how God is using us and why we are to continue, then the love of many begins to wax cold. When we cease to remember, we become indifferent. When we cease to remember, we are tempted to go through the motions. Hear me carefully, please. God reminds us the first and most important commandment is that we're to love the Lord our God with everything we are. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 with me, please. I don't know how much time is between this letter from Paul to one of his, as I would see it, favorite churches. But the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write of love and emphasize love in the book of Ephesians for a reason. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and has patience And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Sounds like a blessed church. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast dismissed or abandoned or forgotten thy first and most primary love church of Ephesus got to a place apparently where they were just going through the motions do you find yourself at times just going through the motions what do we do well we have an example remember where God found you remember what you were remember where you were headed remember what you deserved but God God reached down and took your place in mine and offered a free gift of salvation, a promise that cannot be broken. As your love waxed cold, are you going through the motions? It's as simple as coming to him and asking him, help me to love you more. Remind me of where you found me. Remind me every day of what you've done for me. Help me to count my blessings. Write them down. Remember them. Pray about them. Thank God for them. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you're saved, you didn't really think you deserved hell. but Now you recognize that you do because of your sin. And God is just. And He has paid the price for your sins. And He's willing to forgive you if you'll simply believe. And We have folks that can help show you from the Scriptures that Jesus loves you and He wants to save you. And I hope that you'll come to Christ and turn to Him in repentance and faith. The problem was they left their first love Look in verse 5. Here's the answer. Remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Walk worthy. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk circumspectly. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, at the end of... What he thought was the ministry of Christ, he quit. He gave up. He went fishing and back to the old ways. Took some guys with him, actually. And while he's fishing, he's miserable because they're catching nothing. And someone yells from the shoreline, Children, have you any meat? They he cast it on the other side and they cast it on the other side and they take a whole big net of fish, John recognizes this is Jesus. Peter jumps out. Off the boat, he swims to shore. They sit down and he's already got fish on the, on the camp, on the, on the fire. They fellowship and they eat and I imagine he... Either pulls Paul or Peter aside and or sits by him. You know what he didn't say. He didn't say, "Why did you quit?" He didn't say, "Why did you disobey?" He didn't say, "Why did you lead others astray?" He asked the question that encompasses it all. When he asked him, Peter. Do you love me? Lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me? As I look at my life and some of the foolishness that I can easily get distracted with, it always comes down as I am convicted and humbled and I come to confess to God my sin and my sorrow it always comes back to "Do you love me. Our church can be known for a lot of things. A new big property. Everybody in town knows what's, what's going on with that. I wish they'd tell us. But they know that we own that that, that's, that, that Tabernacle Baptist Church purchased that, and we can be known for that, and that is known. Our church can be known as having a great school with a great education and a great emphasis and it is and it does. We can be known as friendly people and you are the most friendly people in the world. I hear it all the time when I talk to people. People who visit. Friendly people. We can be known for wonderful music and we have the best music in the world. And I'm grateful for it. And we are enjoying the blessings of God But I think that you would agree the best thing in the world we could be known for is how we love Jesus. How we love Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.